Shop Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek minutes away with an experience miles above. Delivering the right car, the right price, the right way. Come see why more are choosing Jermaine Ford. Just off of 35 east of 675, Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast with WHIO meteorologist McCall Rydags and Kirsty Zontini, brought to you by Jermaine Ford and Beaver Creek. Remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Hey, McCall. Hey, Kirsty. How are you? I'm good. We're in the summertime, or it feels like it. I know. <laughs> We've been treated to 70s a couple days in a row, mm-hmm. which I think everyone was ready for. I know. Maybe not ready for the um, rainfall, though. Yeah, the rain's not so great. Nor is the tree pollen, because yeah. I have been popping yeah. like Claritin or mm-hmm. the generic brand of that every day. Yeah, I believe it. Um, we've really started to see our tree pollen spike. Some of the highest counts, actually, yesterday was one of the highest counts we've seen so far, in, in the Dayton area, at least. And we know south of us, they're really struggling. Mm-hmm. The Carolinas, Tennessee... Um, they're kind of getting an overlap of their pollen seasons between tree and grass pollen. Oh. So not great if you're traveling south anytime soon. No, and there I was actually, I wrote a Dayton Daily News article about pollen. Yeah. And there is a time frame when we get into May, r- around May typically is when we see that crossover. Right. We're at the tail end of tree pollen season and mm-hmm. then grass pollen really spikes at that yeah. point. And for me, both of those pollens, especially grass pollen, it's I'm done. I love the smell of freshly cut grass, <laughs> but within like five minutes, I'm done. I'm <laughs> done. Understandably so. Yeah. Uh, well, we actually had uh, our Dayton Daily News partners uh, kind of brought up this idea for us for a podcast episode mm-hmm. uh, because they had done an article about um, now that we're in spring, how are farmers being impacted? And we know this winter we ended up having the third wettest February on record for us. Right. Um, we just didn't really get a whole lot of time to dry out. And now we're heading into spring. And spring is a wet time for us here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already dealt with several rounds of severe weather. And now we're in a pattern where we're going to have a couple days of, you know, prolonged rounds of rain. Right. So, Yeah. And uh, one of the, the authors of that article that you're speaking of came back to ask me some questions mm-hmm. about how much rain we've had so far this year. I mean, February, as you mentioned, was the wettest uh, or third wettest, yes. something like that for uh, February. And I was online and looking at soil moisture content and mm-hmm. saw that the Miami Valley was in the 95th percentile. And for me, that just means above average, but I don't know that much about it. And that's kind of why we have yeah. our experts in today. We do. And we've got a great expert we're going to be very excited to talk mm-hmm. about. So uh, one will focus a little more with the farming side of things, mm-hmm. but of course the other will focus more as uh, also an atmospheric scientist um, He'll talk a little bit more about, I think, soil, all those questions we're going to have for him. Excellent. So, I want to start off, though, with a little introduction to you so you know who we are speaking with. And um, we're going to start with Sam Custard. He is an uh, extension educator for agriculture and natural resources in Dart County. And that's for the Ohio State um, Extension Office. He focuses on farm management. He educates about the farm bill, financial aspects of farm planning, pesticide recertification, crop and nutrient management. And not only was he a high school agricultural educator, he also was a high school, excuse me, a school administrator for more than 30 years. Sam, I didn't know that you had that background as well. Yes, uh, a great opportunity to, to both teach and then serve as an administrator down at Miami Valley Career Technology Center. So, wow. Um, gives me a, a broad background. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, we know being able to educate is um, 
I mean, it's a great skill set, being able to explain something that you know a lot about to others that have questions. So we're going to talk more with you, Sam, in just a minute, but I also want to introduce Aaron, Aaron Wilson. He is an atmospheric scientist. Uh, Welcome. Of course, we've got another weather nerd on the podcast. And Sam, I'm assuming (laughs) you are as well, especially being in agriculture. But uh, so Aaron is part of the Ohio State University. He owns a joint um, point. Excuse me. He I can't speak today. I'm (laughs) sorry. Sorry. It's all right. We're in my final month of pregnancy, I know. by the way. So Forgiveness. I'm it. <laughs> Anyways, he is a research associate and uh, he also is an extension outreach arm of the College of Food, Agriculture, and Environmental Sciences, as well with Ohio State. So he's lived in Ohio in his whole life, which we know. As meteorologists, the longer you could be in an area, the more familiar you become yes. with weather patterns. And especially since he focuses in on not only Ohio weather, but also climate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal for him. Aaron works to contribute to the weekly U.S. drought monitor, which McCall and I look at a lot. And he also works closely with area farmers to discuss changing weather extremes and impacts on climate. So Aaron is going to be a great resource. As we mentioned, we're going to have a lot of soil questions for you, sir. Okay, great. <laughs> yes. All right, so Sam, let's talk a little bit more with you about um, the agriculture side of things. Heading into spring in Ohio, um, you know, I guess being a, a farming community, especially the Miami Valley, we have a lot of rural counties, a lot of smaller farms, family farms. Um, how tough of skin do you have to have as a, a farmer in Ohio? Well, it is become a challenge with uh, our weather extremes. Uh, we're sitting out here uh, in a time period when we would have liked to have had a lot of our spring work done prior to planting and coming off a very, very wet fall uh, when none of the fall work was accomplished. We still haven't had time to accomplish our fall work and we're moving into spring work. So I know uh, there's a lot of anxiousness uh, mm-hmm. at the breakfast table in our farm families as they think about what needs to be accomplished. And then they watch the evening news or oh, the gosh, morning I news. And <laughs> see that you all are going to share with us uh, another couple days of rain here. So it is, it's, uh, it is a stressful time period. And we think about everything that uh, these farmers are going to try to do, they're going to need to do here in the next three weeks. Uh, to be able to raise a corn and soybean crop. And uh, they're very dependent upon that weather uh, to pull that off. So there is a lot of anxiousness or stress in in families right now. So, Sam, I don't think that I realized that um, it went all the way back to the fall as to what's causing the delay now. I guess I was just thinking that it was February's, you know, soggy month that was slowing things down. Yes, we were uh, here in Dart County, or especially the southern part of the county, we had up to 58 inches of rain for calendar year 18, which is one of the wettest, I would think, Mm -hmm. uh, in history. And uh, it was very hard for guys to get even their corn and soybeans harvested. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, we had some soybeans harvested last week, uh, and there's still some here in the county to be harvested, though. We haven't been able to get it uh, accomplished. And usually there's a lot of nutrients and fall tillage that's that's done. And none of that was done um, much in in the county. So that's yet to be done. Wow. Yeah, like McCall had said, that's quite a delay. Yeah. Um, Aaron, if you want to chime in a little bit on the extremes that Sam is talking about, um, you know, as someone who is honed in on Ohio climate, and some of the weather extremes, what what have you noticed? I mean, maybe just in the past couple of years in terms of, 
more wet weather, uh, higher, you know, storm totals, that kind of thing. Yeah, so there's a lot of different facets to this. And, and absolutely, this is, um, you know, in terms of the amount of precipitation we've seen and the soil moisture conditions really does go back quite a ways. As Sam mentioned, you know, this past autumn was the uh, third wettest. We had the second wettest September. Uh, and, and really, we've had the wettest decade since 1895 here in Ohio. Uh, if you look at just the last 12 months from April of 18 through March of 2019, uh, it's the second wettest April to March period since 1895 for Ohio. So that's certainly just in the short term and a little bit of the long term as well, just being this wet decade, even two decades that we've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing when we talk about just not just the overall precipitation, but but the seasonality of the precipitation changes. So one of the things that we know for sure is we've observed very strong trends in our fall precip, mm -hmm. uh, as well as our spring precip in some regions across Ohio. And again, that really impacts, has a direct impact on, on the spring and fall field work. So we, we're, we're able to see that, for instance, that um, you know, in terms of suitable days for field work in Ohio, we've essentially lost five days in April and five days in October since 1995 wow. as a result of the increased overall wetness and inability to get out into the fields. And so mm -hmm. that has really practical uh, impacts, hardship on, on farmers when they're trying to get things established, as, as Sam mentioned. And uh, Sam, a little bit for you, I guess if someone's listening and they're like, well, I don't, I'm not a farmer, so why should I care? But why should people care? Because mm -hmm. this, this is a huge chunk of our community, not only in the Miami Valley, but I mean, in the state of Ohio as well. Um, and, and everything is kind of connected. These are families. This is economy for them. Um, so how is it connected if maybe you're not a farmer and you're just kind of like, well, that stinks? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, well, agriculture is Ohio's number one industry is shared through our our past governors mm -hmm. typically mention that uh, frequently in their in their presentations. So um, most farmers, the uh, income that they earn, the profits that they earn, they reinvest that money. Mm -hmm. And almost all of them reinvest that but right back in their communities that they live and work in. So I think that's, that's I would say that's why it matters to all of us yeah. um, because of that reinvestment into the community. And, and then secondly, uh, there's a direct correlation between um, our uh, consumer prices in the grocery store and the impacts we have and the ability to, to produce that food on our, our local farms. Um, and as we move into the local food movement uh, and mm -hmm. many of our restaurants and, mm -hmm. and grocery stores have, have moved to local foods. And if we can't raise that locally, that, that puts a whole new perspective uh, and challenge for those uh, operations too. And I have to say that's true, especially I've noticed uh, moving out here six and a half years ago, we're really local. Yes. And, and I, I'm very proud of the fact that mm -hmm. the Miami Valley is uh, very big on local uh, economy and, and produce and things like that. Question for you, Sam, how late can we really wait before we get in the fields and plant that next season crop? Well, we're probably already at the point on our soybeans that uh, and corn that we could possibly see a yield reduction for every day that we're out of the fields. May 10th is kind of that uh, magical date when we would mm -hmm. like to have everything planted. Okay. Uh, and I looked at some uh, current research and 
Indiana is the closest research would say to plant our corn crop, we need a minimum of 14 days to get that done for the state of Ohio and Indiana. Uh, and we look at the past uh, maybe 20 years, it looks like 44% of the time we get those 14 days to be able to plant that corn crop. Uh, so as we go into that May 20th period, we've lost a couple bushels uh, per acre. Um, and that all factors into that bottom line in, a, in an already depressed farm economy with very low commodity prices. Man, that is crazy how everything is all connected. Um, a little bit about that connection, I guess maybe more from you, Aaron. Uh, what other factors, besides precipitation, everyone thinks of rain, mm -hmm. but what other factors play into soil moisture? Because it's not just rain. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, basic soil type has a lot to do with whether, you know, kind of the speed at which things um, drain and, and, and run off and, and whether or not you're able to work those soils uh, with, you know, sandy soils, perhaps, you know, drying off a little bit faster. But in our region, we, we don't have a lot of that, obviously. Uh, so that's that's one factor. I, I think, um, you know, the early in the season, for instance, if you've got a lot of soil moisture, and I think this is what we saw in March, you know, even though the sun angle is getting stronger, we've got more energy hitting and reaching the surface, uh, you know, it takes a while for these wet soils to warm up versus mm -hmm, the dry mm -hmm. soils. And so True. that's another thing that starts to compact the issues that, that we're seeing out there. And, you know, we've had some, I would say, obviously beautiful weather over the last week or two and some dry days and windy days. And, and overall, the last 30 days have been a little bit drier than, than we saw for much of the winter and, and early spring. So, so a lot of people are seeing some dryness take place on the surface, but you don't have to go but an inch or two below the surface and yeah. it's still very, very wet. And so it's almost deceiving. Like, you know, we've got some of our, our typical things we look at drought, for instance, and some of the indicators would say, yeah, you know, we've, based on the precipitation, there could be drought when we know right. just below mm -hmm. the surface, there's a lot of water, stream flows are high. So the, all of these things are, you know, it's a complex issue, uh, but certainly those are some of the other variables when it comes to soil moisture and, and what we're seeing. And, uh, and it's yeah, and I recognize that last summer because I know that there was like perhaps like four weeks of dryness where we didn't have much precipitation. I can't recall what month it was or what time during the summer and wondering if we were going to go into a drought. Right. And I think just a sliver of the Miami Valley went to abnormally dry. And that right. speaks to that soil moisture content. Um, and talking about soil moisture content, can you kind of just explain what that means? I know it means... Um, you know, it goes deeper into the soil. But when I'm looking at numbers and say the 95th percentile of soil moisture, what does that mean? Yeah, so there's a couple of important factors here. So so when you look at a 95th percentile, for instance, uh, you're relying on long-term observations. And you're looking at the entire observation time series or the all of the, the data throughout many years of data. And you're you're looking at distributions of a you know, certain quantity of water per volume, basically, mm -hmm. of, of the soil. And so when you say 95th percentile, that means of, out of all the observations that we've seen, uh, right now, the amount of water, that quantity of water per volume of soil is in that top 95th percentile, or it's, it's the amount uh, on, on the higher end of the extremes. We got some places across southern Ohio, even in the 99th percentile. Wow. So you're looking at that absolute top 1% of the wettest 
content of soil. So that's that's a way. I think the easiest way to think it think about it is if you took a certain you know amount of soil, mm-hmm. how much water is contained in that unit of soil, and so uh, that that's a way to understand those soil percentiles. And that's compared over a period of time. Uh, so if right. you're collecting all the data and you're comparing, you know, the observation that you just took to all the data that you had, you're talking about you're in the top 95th percentile for how much moisture is in there. Correct. Yeah. Um, when it comes to factors, I guess, to give a little bit of hope or what I, farmers, as Sam had mentioned, mm-hmm. are, are anxious. Um, and clearly, this isn't a quick three days of dry weather no. and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what are they hoping for? What is um, some of the things that as meteorologists here locally, you know, that we can highlight that is helpful? You kind of said a little bit wind, of course, the sun angle helps a little bit. You know, I mean, how many dry days, how long of a stretch would be beneficial to us or infrequent isolated downpours are a little easier to deal with than what really what we'll see Friday and Saturday? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to unpack and, and Sam can chime in, I think here too, um, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, I always get from farmers is, can you give me a 10 day forecast that's just dry and no rainfall and, and I can get a lot done. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that farmers are, are thinking about is how to plant quicker, how to get some of these, uh, these tasks done uh, with less time, with this decreasing time. But mm-hmm. Uh, that's certainly, you know, one thing that I think is helpful. Um, you know, I think it, it's good from a, you know, from a farmer perspective that that a little bit of that climate prediction center outlook mm-hmm. of, hey, you know, the, the next six to 10 or eight to 14 days look like we could be edging drier. That can help, I think, and, and Sam can, can uh, tell me if I'm right, you know, help the long-term plan. Like when yeah. can I make up some work if I'm going to miss out, say over the next two days with this rainfall that we're expecting now? I think that is very important as we look at that. Uh, and right now from a layman's terms, I think most farmers out here realize that uh, we're coming into a period that uh, we're going to need at least a week okay. of dry weather. And when we're talking about dry weather, we want sun yeah. wind mm-hmm. warm temperatures to to start drying things out and and we have gone with larger equipment and as guys look at these predictions one of the some of the research that we've found is that we definitely want to get away from trying to beat the storm mm-hmm. uh, because we found through research that when we try to beat the storm and get a crop planted right before a rain, especially one of those cold rains yeah. that we typically take a real uh, hit in our production because some of that first drinks of water that that young seedling will get will be that very cold water mm-hmm. that comes from those storms. So we've most of our farmers have moved away from that philosophy of trying to beat the rain. So if they can look long term where they're at uh, and it also allows guys to determine, OK, what kind of hours am I going to have to operate? Because right. we do have some guys that push the envelope and will plant 24 hours a day for three or four days in a row. And they can get a lot done, but that's not an ideal situation because that's when we tend to make mistakes and safety becomes a real concern. But if if you tell me that I've only got this number of days in the next two weeks, um, guys will try to get a as much done as they can possibly get done in that optimal period to be out of the field, maybe 24 hours, 48 hours before that next uh, big storm event. 
Yeah, that I never thought about the cold rain no, and how that's either. like a shock to, you know, a little seedling. That's that's really interesting, actually, hmm. especially when you think about, um, oh, we're in the 70s, but we get some storms. Well, even though it's warm, like you said, that, that mm-hmm. for those first drops that are coming out of that storm, that is that is some very cooled, cooled rain and cooled air as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm sitting here thinking and listening about, um, you know, wet ground and those large pieces of equipment. It's, you know. You have to think about the potential of your equipment getting stuck out in the fields mm-hmm. in those type of situations. And then I'm thinking, well, if you're waiting and you're going to use the bigger equipment to do more and you're just constantly waiting, you know, the bigger the equipment, the heavier it might be. And I, the stress and having to calculate all that, I can't imagine what that's like. It is that the, the, I really have a, a huge respect for our farmers yeah. and, and uh, they've, it's, turned into a true business adventure and if if our farmers aren't treating their operation as a business um it's very difficult for them to survive in the world we're in today so they're they're pulling in all this data that you can provide them and Aaron mm-hmm. can provide them as they make these decisions and they're trying to uh, we know that if we get out on wet soils, we can ruin soils for mm-hmm. a couple years where we're going to reduce our production. So uh, they're they're not wanting to get out there too early, but they want to be out there the first day they can possibly get there. When we look at a year like this, I think back to my first year when I trans uh, transitioned from uh, my school administration job to this extension job. It was 2012. Mm-hmm. It was a year of oh, the drought. Yes. Uh, <laughs> guys had pretty much everything planted by this time yeah. in 2012 and the ground was in excellent condition in April better than I've ever seen it but that didn't result in anything because mm-hmm. we failed to get that rain uh, mm-hmm. for most of the we summer needed. but uh, so yeah we're out here now and it looks like we're going to have another one of those years and where you're going to give to us a small window in May to get things planted. Right. And maybe Sam or Aaron can answer this question because I'm thinking about the amount of rain and we talked about runoff. Are we seeing um, the nutrients in the soil being impacted because of how much rain? I mean, is it it pulling some of the nutrients away that, you know, maybe in past years the, the crop would be better because it had those nutrients? But what we're seeing, uh, it's a real water quality issue. We know mm-hmm. that when we get these large rain events, it, they do move nutrients. Um, I guess for right now, we'd say there's very few uh, additional nutrients have been applied this year yet mm-hmm. or last fall because the uh, conditions have not been good for that. But we do lose nutrients, uh, and we've made a... Uh, a conscious effort uh, through some science-based research to determine the best time to do those applications. So I think in the next uh, decade, we'll see many more of our nutrients be applied in that growing crop during that season, maybe June, July, Mm -hmm. when we don't have as many of the large rain events and the plants can go ahead and grab onto those nutrients they need right away and we'll lose less nutrients. Yeah, and if I can add, I mean, that that's another part of the precip story is the, the changing character of the precipitation, the mm-hmm. fact that statistically mm-hmm. we've seen an increase in those heavier downpours, an inch and a half, two inches over a short period of time. And I think, you know, adding to what, what Sam said in terms of running the farm like a business, uh, you know, working with farmers, they this is a resilient community, right? Yeah. Farmers <laughs> tend to... to um, 
you know, overcome the challenges that are often presented by weather. So with, with the wet conditions, obviously, we, there's the potential for very high yields, for instance, in mm -hmm. corn and things like that. I think that speaks uh, to the work, the hard work that farmers are putting in to overcome some of these challenges that are presented from, from, a, um, from a weather perspective. And I just think that that's, you know, it's something important to share with others. Well, Aaron, climatologically, um, I like to explain uh, this to people that your daily forecast is like your um, how you're feeling on any particular day. Sometimes you wake up, you're happy, and some days you wake up and you're cranky. But climate is more your personality. It's constantly evolving and it doesn't change day to day because we are in this wet pattern. And you're talking about it being the wettest decade for Ohio. Is this looking to be climatologically the way that we're going or is there potentially some relief or signals of relief in the future that you've seen? Yeah, so I, I think that's very important to distinguish the difference of our day-to-day -day weather mm -hmm. to climate, those long-term changes. Uh, the, the move toward wetter conditions and more extreme events is really not new. This is right. something that, mm -hmm. that we've seen, for instance, with the extreme precipitation change right around the, about the mid-90s where we've started this big increase in the heavy downfall. Uh, what we do to kind of look at, we, we take both into consideration the observations that we've seen, the changes that we've seen throughout the 20th and early 21st century, but then we also model into the future, mm -hmm. right? And based on our best evidence, our best science models, they project increases, continued increases on the order of about 10% by mid 21st century in terms of annual total precipitation. And these are likely to be do more toward um, you know, uh, extreme precipitation events, mm -hmm. not necessarily wetter summers. There's some indications mm -hmm. that, that summers could actually become more, become drier, right. mm -hmm. uh, even though we get more rainfall over the year. So short-term water shortages yeah. versus yeah. extreme precipitation events. And that's a whole nother management structure, uh, management challenge. So that's that, you know, our, our models are suggesting that, that mm -hmm. we're going to become even wetter than we are and likely have heavier downpours, but also some intense drought in there as well as a, as a possibility. We know we have these drought events. Um, and so it's always important to remember both sides of the hydroclimatic extremes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, to touch upon what Aaron is saying, um, I was actually having this conversation with meteorologist Dante Jones yesterday, and he had some research that he showed me as far as are we seeing more tornadoes? And what is actually happening is we have less days with tornadoes but more tornadoes on um, one particular day. day. And that kind of speaks to what you're saying. You know, you can go perhaps a few weeks without any rain, and then you just get this one event that's just going to bring a deluge of precipitation. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like, too, um, we have seen those, those mm -hmm. events of even our um, flash flooding event on the highway. Yeah. Like, that's not something we typically see. Yeah, thousand-year flood. Thousand-year yeah. flood occurred just a few years ago. Um, down in Cincinnati, they had a couple uh, isolated cities mm -hmm. of just very urban deluge rain, and it just flooded out a community. Homes that would never really think to buy flood insurance right. um, were impacted by that. So, yes, definitely honing in on the fact that when we're talking about extremes becoming more of a commonality almost, yeah. that does not also just impact farmers. I mean, that's that's 
that's homeowners, that's, you know, dealing mm-hmm. with flood events in your house. Correct. Um, and drought as well, which actually, Aaron, let's talk a little bit about drought. Let's transition over to that opposite side. Um, Sam had mentioned 2012. I think that probably sticks out to most mm-hmm. people just recently um, of drought years, but also drought. How does that, and Sam, this might be a question for you first, and then Aaron will talk to you about it a little more. Um, on the opposite side of it, for farmers dealing with drought, how does that impact what they already have in the ground then? Is it, it's a lot more resources, I'm assuming, that they'd have to keep that growth cycle going. Right. So if we look back to 2012, uh, like I said, the planting season went very, very well. Uh, and then we did turn dry. And uh, the, at harvest, uh, what they were left with, because all the inputs are in the field. So mm-hmm. the farmers have invested for this crop. And um, some of the local farmers here in Dark County got absolutely zero yield on oh corn. So nothing from that crop. Uh, soybeans uh, did a little bit better because uh, uh, as in Dark County, we always get a nice rainfall, <laughs> a rain event during the Dark County Fair. <laughs> yeah, so it's true. There you go. <laughs> we had a nice rain in August and it saved uh, the soybeans mm. to the they were a, a decent yield, but corn was really impacted. So, um, you know, Ohio or Dark County uh, produces more corn and soybeans than any other county in the state of Ohio. So we rely on that. Wow. The farmers rely on that. Uh, the community relies on that. And when you uh, go to, I think that year we were probably, I think we averaged close to 100 bushel the acre versus uh, 2018. Our our county average was 2000 or 205 bushel per acre. Wow. So uh, we cut our yield in half and half our production. So uh, a huge impact there. You know, if you were in a system with uh, irrigation, mm-hmm. uh, you can irrigate through those drought times. But uh, we have very few of our farms here that are in, in Dark County or, or the Miami Valley uh, that are irrigated. So very difficult for us. Yeah, that's important to know, even having that ability to do the irrigation. Right, exactly. Um, Aaron, how quickly, I guess, can drought conditions take over in a, in a region? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you know, uh, the, a flashy term, I, I kind of gave it away there, but a flashy <laughs> term of, of late, probably over the last 10 years, is this idea of a flash drought. Uh, for instance, 2012, you know, like, like Sam said, perfect spring conditions, rapidly developing drought, four months of intense drought, and then we, we ended it with some heavy rainfall. Uh, that tends to be what, what drought is like in Ohio of, of late, where we have these short dry periods uh, embedded within this overall wetter period. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think back, for instance, throughout, throughout the history of drought, 1930s or even in the 50s, when we had some of these multi-year droughts, even in Ohio, we don't often see that anymore mm-hmm. um, because we, you know, we've we've had some larger droughts, 07 and 08, uh, 2012, for instance, uh, but nothing really intense since then. Just a few areas across the region, and as a matter of fact, we're sitting at less than four percent in drought as of this uh, this morning across wow. the country. Wow! Um, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, uh, this will be the eighth week that the Midwest has had no drought since 2000. Wow. Uh, the longest streak before was one week for the Midwest. Wow. And, and we're at eight weeks this week. So it's quite astounding the lack of drought that we have. But we know uh, that that drought can move very rapidly. One of the things is we, we get warmer. Overall, we have a warmer atmosphere. 
you start changing that hydrologic cycle. You start intensifying the evaporation a little bit, right? You get more evaporation and mm -hmm. more water vapor in the atmosphere. And oh, by the way, that keeps our summer nighttime temperatures higher as well. Yes. That has impacts on, on crop production and, and even, you know, cooling of livestock and things like that. So there's a lot of multifacets here that play in between temperature and, and drought and uh, temp, yeah, temperatures and drought and precipitation, all these additional, you know, struggles or, or obstacles that we have to overcome. That's crazy. That is. It's so, it's just all so connected. Mm -hmm. um, one more question for you, Sam, and, and Aaron, of course, chime in. Um, of course, Ohio farmers, resilient, resilient. They are hard workers. Mm -hmm. um, what resources, because you guys both are out of Ohio State for the extension, what resources, if there is a farmer listening um, to this, do you to provide to maybe help guide them over the next couple of weeks right. into the into our, the rest of our spring? Ohio State University, our ag crops team, we put out a weekly uh, newsletter. It's called the Corn. That's a crop <laughs> observation uh, newsletter. And we, we meet uh, by conference call every Monday morning and we review with our state specialists and uh, people like Aaron where we are on a, on a statewide basis. Mm -hmm. And out of that, we start talking about as we move through the planting season, we'll have a conversation. Okay, are we starting to get into that time? time period when uh, we're planting late, do we need to change the varieties and the maturities uh, of the crop we're planting? So I would I would suggest to our agronomic, uh, to our farmers out here that are planting corn and soybeans, uh, trying to figure out how to handle their forages, that the corn newsletter is probably the best tool that we have. Uh, and they can subscribe to that or contact their local extension office to get that and we can provide that. And then each of the offices can follow up. Uh, all my colleagues out here are more than willing to help mm -hmm. and assist uh, with the farmers on trying to come up with solutions. We may not have the expertise in our local office, but we can go to Columbus to people like Aaron mm -hmm. uh, and our other state specialists to help us get the answers that farmers are looking for. That's wonderful, Sam. And Aaron, for you, as as the expert, as as Sam just mentioned, you know, what are some resources that you could provide, or even just some things that that farmers or the, the daily weather enthusiast or the daily person that has a yard that they really care mm -hmm. about yeah. um, can start checking when it comes to uh, climate and a little bit more on some of the long range uh, forecasts. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's all kinds of things I think we can do. <clears throat> uh, in addition to extension, I'm also part of the State Climate Office of Ohio. Mm -hmm. So that's housed here at Ohio State. So we have a website, uh, climate.osu.edu. Uh, throughout the growing season, I put about a six to 12 minute video blog kind of outlining the hydro current state of the hydro climate across the entire state. And then also incorporate some of those Climate Prediction Center outlooks that I mentioned earlier. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, climate summaries over the previous three months or three months seasonal average. So, so farmers and others, anyone can, can look at that information as well. Uh, we have a very good, um, with the USDA, we have the Midwest uh, Climate Hub. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of great information there for farmers in terms of building resilience to extreme precipitation events and how uh, the weather challenges and the climate change is having an impact on farmers and what they can do. Yeah. So that's some great information. Uh, on day-to-day, -day, I think a lot of weather enthusiasts, enthusiasts follow 
follow you guys, follow mm -hmm. the National Weather Service, follow the U.S. Drought Monitor. Um, I've actually only recently entered the Twitterverse, the Twitter world. <laughs> yes, welcome, Aaron. Uh, and and I think that there's, you know, that's a uh, a great tool for getting some information out yeah. there in a very timely manner. Uh, so Dr. Wilson's weather, you can find me on there if you yes. want some more information. Shameless plug. No, no that's do wonderful. It. <laughs> yeah, but certainly we, we we have a lot of resources out there, and, and you can always contact us. Um, as Sam mentioned, either, even at the county level or, or OSU Extension and the State Climate Office, and, and just reach out. Um, I'm a weather geek, weather nerd, mm -hmm. and, uh, love talking about weather and all kinds of facets. So I, I'll entertain any questions that folks have. Well, That's I'm going to speak for Kirsty in this because she's going to go on maternity leave. <laughs> but depending on how the rest of this spring and summer goes, uh, this was a very interesting conversation yes. with both Sam and Aaron. And mm -hmm. I would love to have you guys um, back on later this summer so we can kind of see how things have turned out and mm -hmm. where we are headed for the upcoming fall. That would be great. Yay. I'd like to take you out in the field some of the oh, day. Yes. Yeah, we could do that right from my phone or my laptop, and we can stand in the middle of a field and maybe even involve a farmer, and, and we wonderful. can dig in the soil and or whatever. That would be fantastic. So, yes. Really cool. And I think you'll probably realize why I thought we needed to have Aaron on the Yes. <laughs> yes, it was great. It was great having Aaron on as well. But um, Sam and Aaron, you guys were just a wealth of knowledge that not only McCall and I appreciate, but anyone listening does as well. And anyone that's not a farmer, I just think this was really mm -hmm. eye-opening for people to tune in to the fact that this is a huge part of Ohio's agriculture, our economy, our communities. Mm -hmm. um, so it is all very, very much important to know what's going on and, and you know, who in your community is working so hard, yeah. you know, to keep, to keep things going for their families. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Of course, McCall and I will be reaching back out to you because yeah, mm -hmm. this is going to be a repeat episode. Oh, 100%. For sure. This is, yeah, we will have a follow-up on this. And I, I think this is one of those that we could have several uh, interviews a year yes. to just follow. And kind it was very educational. I always know it's a good podcast when I feel like I've been educated. So yeah. thank you both, <laughs> Sam and Aaron. Um, and thank you listeners for listening to Cloudy with a Chance, a podcast. You can listen on Apple iPodcast, <laughs> uh, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.